This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Lended Fintech Weekly News Show. My name is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Lended Fintech, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, back fresh from a trip to Disney World. How are you doing, Todd? I'm good, Peter. How are you? Welcome back, Andrew, as well. Yes, good to have Andrew Dix from Crowdfund Insider, who is by, that is a real background, a real fireplace that he has right going here. We have a fireside chat with Andrew. How are you doing? A real fireside chat. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. (laughs) Thank you, Todd. Thank you for inviting me back once again. It's it's good to see you both. Okay. So I want to kick it off with... I want to kick it off with a story that just really came out a couple of hours ago, but it's something that... I've been waiting for for a while, and um, this is uh, Project Hamilton, which is a joint venture between the Boston Fed and MIT. And this is really, it's all about CBDCs, right? So they've just released their report. It's like 44 pages long. I haven't read it, obviously. It's uh, it's just come out. But um, this is sort of the, the how-to. If we were to do a CBDC, this is kind of how it might look. And there's nothing is definitive here. It's all just, um, it's up for discussion. In fact, all the code is, they've released all the code. It's open source now called OpenCBDC. And um, I, um, you know, the thing that's interesting to me about this is they've, they've designed this to be able to handle 1.7 million transactions per second. And I just checked um, with Visa. Has uh, Visa say they can handle 24,000 transactions a second. Um, so it's much more robust than that. And I looked at the at Alipay when they have the singles days, and they still have never got over a million transactions a second at Alipay at the height of the singles day. So still, it's a, that's a very, very robust system. And, uh, you know, it remains to be seen whether it will see the light of day, but I think it's big news uh, nonetheless. I mean, I think it's it's interesting how we always equate CBDCs uh, and, you know, innovation here as if it always has to be blockchain-based mm-hmm. uh, technology. And I think they made a point of saying, you know, right now, uh, at least, uh, the bottleneck that, that blockchain could potentially cause. And I still, and, and I think it's, you know, the dynamic is we've talked about how much innovations happened and, and how fast crypto is moving in. But at the very basic level, it's still so early. You know, I think Bitcoin can handle eight, maybe seven or eight transactions uh, a second. So it's just, it, it's fascinating to see the report, the potential in uh, this CBDC. Uh, the limitations of blockchain, but knowing just how early everything still is here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have not read, had a chance to read the report yet, but I'm very excited to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll note since you bring up, you know, the the down the uh, downsides of using DLT is the Chinese digital yuan does not use just blockchain technology right um so you know that's they they've decided to, to go a, a bifurcated path path um i think that this is a very interesting discussion 
about you know moving to digital transactions. But I still think the jury is out as to whether it will be the federal government that provides a digital dollar or whether private companies will offer something akin to a stable coin that is highly regulated that provides you know transactions at a you know at a, at a speed that is 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 good enough for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that some of the, the the challenges with the Chinese CBDC, I think we all know about, is the fact that once the government controls the the digital currency they can see every single transaction that you do and i think that that's something that's going to be difficult for people in the united states to accept currently there's legislation in the works in the house that the the fed would not be allowed to issue a digital dollar to consumers that doesn't mean that they can't do it for you know um, institutional transactions uh, that kind of makes sense i think that the house and the senate are going to be very engaged in this topic and that nothing will happen until you get bespoke legislation to regulate and manage it. Right, right. Well, And the word privacy, um, just to scan in this report here, it, it's almost 50 times that the word privacy appears. So clearly that's, uh, that's on the minds of, uh, yeah. of the Fed as they're, as they're doing this. And anyway, let's, uh, let's move on. Um, I want to talk about a couple of big funding rounds here first, FTX. Um, which we've seen on the TV a lot. They just this is the FTX parent company or the one that's based in the Bahamas, different to FTX US. Um, but they raised the FTX parent raised four hundred million dollars at a thirty-two billion dollar valuation, um, uh, up from twenty-five billion dollars four months ago was their last raise. Um, at least they didn't double the valuation. That's something. But uh, they, um, yeah. Crypto is going through a lot of volatility right now, but the technology companies that are in crypto seem to be able to um, be seem to be unaffected by by the volatility and are raising money at record at a record levels. At least unaffected in the sense that VCs are still making those uh, big bets. Yep. Uh, that uh, you know the the future is at least in some ways linked. Uh, to crypto, how that all plays out in the future, and, and you know, Web three, and uh, I think remains to be seen. But there's there will be some long term linkage there that VCs feel comfortable enough uh, continuing to make these outsized bets uh, with a lot of these companies in the space. And I think it's it's fascinating as you see some of the the pullback in say traditional fintech uh, companies. It's, it hasn't been ginormous, but they've started to pull back a little bit valuations. Yep. Um, especially on, on the public side, um, you still see this just flooding of companies uh, in the crypto space. So I think that that dynamic is is um, you know pretty fascinating to, to see how it plays out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know FTX, it's an amazing company, and I think that that uh, the founder Sam Bankman-Fried is is the smartest or one of the smartest guys in in this sector. He's, he's a machine. Done, yeah. He's, he's absolutely uh, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I listened to him not too long ago participate in a uh, hearing in Congress and he, you know he just he just nails everything. He he knows what he's doing. Uh, he was he had a lot of foresight in in initially creating two operations ftx.us and ftx you know everywhere else and setting it up in the Bahamas. Uh, he's been compliance first, something you have to do, and he he understands trading and traders, and he's really created a stack that that uh, you know works. And and 
right now i think that ftx is 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 the one platform to you know to potentially rule them all you have a lot of other you know uh, platforms that have first mover advantage but i i think ftx has just got the momentum right now they've got the money they're really just you know growing hand over fist and so it's it's just really an amazing company yep yep and another amazing company, which actually has nothing to do with crypto, uh, is uh, is Ramp, which uh, Ramp is less than three years old. They were founded in 2019. They are now uh, worth $8 billion at uh, the last round that was said to be $200 million raised. They, their valuation was $4 billion all the way back in August. What's that, like five months ago? Um, and... Uh, they are the 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 valuation is uh, reportedly um, eighty times revenue, which actually, when you when you look at the comps, it's not completely off the planet. There are others that are trading at even higher multiples than that. And of course, their arch rival is Brex. Brex is a twelve point three billion dollar valuation when they last raised. They're overdue. They've been like three or four months uh, without a raise. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. Then this is these and again, young founders doing. Yes, it's all about. You know, basically expend management for, for, for companies and, and uh, you know, clearly investors think Ramp and Brex are both going to crush it. I think besides obviously the, the, the crypto market, I think one of the more fascinating spaces in fintech and financial services coming out of COVID is how startups, small businesses, early stage, high growth companies are being served financially. Um, they, prior to the pandemic, and many of these companies um, were not being served well by traditional banks, uh, but now you have these options, um, Brex and Ramps of the world, and even others. Uh, even if you take away you know, the, the Brex and Ramp angle, you talk about a lot of data type firms that are now offering their products to small business that give them so much more flexibility than they've ever had before. And so small businesses as a, you know, a segment are probably going to be better served uh, coming out of COVID than they've ever been before with so many different options. And you have Brex and uh, obviously Ramp being two of those that are serving more of the high growth type companies. Uh, but really I think, um, you know, that we're kind of entering a golden age of kind of maybe not banking, but at least financial services offerings for the small business owner. Yep. Yeah, I think we're. I think it's it's, it's a bit of a land grab, right? We're we're kind of in online lending 3.0 or you know right. online credit 3.0, where there's been a lot of iterations in that space in the past. You know, you know, it's almost going on two decades. God, and uh, so I think people are saying, you know, we see a fast growing small operation. Let's get it now while we can and why we have the cash to do it, and let's get bigger faster um you know sooner yeah yeah so we'll stay with the small business theme um because we have uh, another there was an interesting m a deal this week amount which was you know spun out of avant a few years back um really uh focusing on banking as a service type uh, lending as a service type op um, offerings uh they have bought linear financial technologies and if you don't know linear that 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 they've only been around a year as, as in their current form, but it was Foundation. Um, Sam Graziano started fun, fun, Foundation. Yeah, probably I think probably like almost ten years ago would be my guess. Um, and 
the way they became linear when they when they merged with ODX, which was one year ago this month. ODX was the was the banking as a service, uh, linear as a service offering from OnDeck. So now they're all under amount, uh, cash and stock deal, one hundred and seventy five million. Um, you know, this is uh, again we've got amount which really has been focused on consumer offerings primarily you know point of sale and consumer lending now they're going to have a small business offering so um you know the amount sort of cementing themselves as this one-stop shop for for banks natural evolution to go uh, more full stack offering versus just on the the consumer side and i think it was the amount raised somewhere in the range of 90 or so million and I think it was some of the time in the last six months or at least the last year. Or so, um, you know, clearly they're, um, you know, pushing, um, on the growth, uh, scale a bit and, uh, looking to help banks not only on the consumer, but on the small business side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a hot market. I mean, there's just a lot of money looking for deals right now, you know, looking for, uh, the service that can add value to an existing service, you know, who's the next to firm, who's the next, you know, whatever, uh, you know, I, I think you're going to see more of this, more consolidation. It's just people realize that, you know, now's the time to seize the day to get it as big as possible. Yep. Yep. Okay. So moving on upgrade, um, had some news this week. We have upgrade shopping. Now this is the upgrade card, Renault LaPlanche, former, uh, former CEO of Lending Club now, um, Upgrade uh, CEO, and uh, you know they've they've they're doing really really well. Andrew, why don't why don't you tee this up because I think you you spoke with Renault. It looks like when I read your piece. So uh, why don't you? Yeah, tee yeah. So 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 when we hear from them, I, I I'm always Renault's kind of an iconic individual for the the, the fintech sector. Yep. Uh, Lending Club was really, you know, love it or hate it. It was really the the first online lender to to, to go public, the first, you know, really big, you know, uh, credit platform to go public in the U.S. I think. Yep. And uh, and they've really evolved over time because now they're they started as P2P. They do that no more. They're now a digital bank. They're one of four or five in the United States. So I'm always curious as to his perspective because you know him, Peter. He's He's giga plugged in. I mean, he's he's you know probably doesn't sleep at all. And yeah. so um, uh, uh, I think that the shopping is is really interesting, especially with the, the the cash back that they have there to continue to fuel that growth, which is they're executing on. But also, I thought it was interesting to hear his thoughts about the the fintech sector, the the neo banking or digital banking sector in general. I view digital banks as chartered federal banks. You're an actual bank minus the, the branches. New banks, you provide bank-like services and you've partnered with a chartered bank. And um, he continues to be committed to pursuing a, a neobank path. And I, I find that interesting because he's he's a very smart guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, um, you know, it's interesting to see how fintechs and banks are working to keep the customer inside the app. You know, JP Morgan, I can book flights inside their app. I can do shopping, do uh, restaurant, uh, you know, reservations. Um, and so, you know, upgrade now, you can shop in the app. So it's kind of like, hey, you're here. You've got a loan from us. you got a credit card from us. Now, don't go away. We want you to use that credit card. So here's a shopping option or here's a flight option. 
Uh, and so I think it's, it's fascinating to see how in-depth and, and diverse they can get in those offerings. Um, and it kind of is going back to a little bit of the rebundling in some way uh, of financial services. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. And I thought that it was funny seeing the 7% cash back for the 7% uh, related to inflation. So right. I, it was kind of a play on that, which I thought was smart in terms of market. Yeah, and it's like 7% rewards i mean obviously they're getting probably a kickback from the merchant to be able to do that but uh you know that 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 that's that that can be compelling for um you know yeah. really uh if you're going to spend the money anyway you, you again seven seven percent is that's a that's a really really good amount to spend and uh i feel like you know upgrade has really um my daughter is texting me during this thing. i'm going to ignore it um so yeah, the, the clearly, I feel like Upgrade is now positioning themselves as the, you know they've they talk you talked about the super app you know that seems like we've heard the word super app a lot. I'm actually working on a story I'm going to write about it in, uh, over the next few days because I feel like there's so much talk in 2022 about super apps, and um, I don't know if really what they're going to qualify as a super app in my eyes, but they're moving that direction to become more encompassing because they have this they they, they all have these. Um, relationships with, with their customers that they want to, um, you know, bring uh, bring into the fore and uh, and offer more products and services to them. So, I think uh, upgrade. You know, they continue to crush it. I I don't believe Renault. I think he'll become. A, I think he'll get a banking license at some point. But he might just. He's probably biding his time. It, it might it might be two or three years down the track. But I I can't imagine him uh, not going that route when you, you can look at the increased uh, profits that are available there. Anyway, um, let's move on to um, Afterpay. Since we touched on buy now, pay later, Afterpay were in the news this week because it was—I think it was August of last year. I remember um, waking up on a Monday morning, going, "Holy cow!" Afterpay have been uh, getting acquired by Square, as it was called back then, for twenty-nine billion dollars, and. Um, that was consummated this week, and now Afterpay is part of what is now called Block, um, and that uh, the, the, the founders, um, Nick and Anthony, are still staying on. They're running the they're running Afterpay business, and uh, the one thing that they've done in the last whatever that was six months of they've had this kind of in between process before the deal closed. They have actually um, integrated with Square Merchants now having Afterpay, Buy Now, Pay Later capabilities so that the merchants can offer BNPL, it seems. That's available today, uh, is my understanding of it. And uh, so we see one of the one of the big three in the Buy Now, Pay Later, or big four if you include PayPal, have, um, you know, they're now um, part of another company. First, thank you to Jay Nelson for uh, your comment there. We appreciate you as well. Um, Peter, I think the, the bullet point uh, you know, in our document here that, that I find most interesting is you know, the integration uh, with Cash App and Afterpay, kind of what, what that's going to uh, look like at launch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think more of the same. Land grab people are, are you know, they're rushing to get as big as they can, as fast as they can to be, you know, the one or one of the several that will succeed over time. Right, right. Yeah, and the aforementioned PayPal um, released earnings this week and 
it wasn't pretty for them. And uh, <laughs> I, I actually have a, one of my best friends works at PayPal and I texted him last night and he said it was, it was, it was an ugly day. Uh, just um, in general, 25% drop in the stock price for the, with a company that was, you know, worth north of 300 billion now in the sort of mid one hundreds. And uh, they, uh, you know, and it, well, the one thing I want to I want to focus on here, like, like they fell short of expectations. The one thing that they said, one thing they said that was I thought really interesting was, you know, that four and a half million accounts they've when they they've, they've deemed as uh, illegitimate because of uh, some sort of you know, potentially fraud, potential fraudulent activity, and you know, PayPal have been adding accounts left, right, and center, like 120 million new new accounts added in 2020 and 2021 combined. But now we find that you know, 4.5 million were legitimate. Still a relatively low percent, I guess, is like four percent low. I guess it probably is, but it's um, it's still a lot of lot of fake accounts there. Yeah, yeah I'll jump in here because I, I think that. As these companies become public, they they realize that the the scrutiny can be intense and, and the degree of disclosure rises. And so I think that all these firms that have become uh, listed companies is, is they've had to go back and say, you know, where are our weaknesses? And realizing that there's there are certain opportunities to to leverage these digital platforms for fraudulent purposes. That being said, I I think that PayPal's results were a disaster. I was listening to the the punditry on, on television yesterday mm-hmm. and people were calling it a failure failure to execute a lack of leadership they spared no adjective and just you know blasting management at paypal and i tend to agree and also recently on the twitterati uh in certain realms have been blasting paypal because they have seemed to uh be deplatforming certain people whose political views they don't agree with and i don't care you know what side of the fence you're on uh, uh but i don't think that that a financial service firm should do that so i i find that that reprehensible also you know paypal is an expensive service and i think you have new services coming along like stable coins that are going to be able to do it faster and cheaper that are going to be able to undermine the margins that paypal is garnering today and I think that that's something that that people aren't really talking about, but it will be part of the discussion going forward. So, uh, you know, PayPal, you know, they, they, they lose this week. I couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> yeah, it's um, perfect. I mean, I think they've that, the thing about PayPal, they have all the ingredients they need to be just super successful. They've, they, they've got more financial service off, financial services offerings than any other company. And, yeah, it's management at this point. The board yeah. needs to make a change. I'm sorry. They, you're a publicly traded company. It's it's leadership, and, and they need to act. Yep, yep. Okay, so let's move uh, move to India, where we had some news this week about crypto, and uh, that is um, really you know the, the, the news is that the the, the 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 finance minister gave her budget speech, um, and she said that they're going to have they're going to tax crypto at 30%. Any income, any profits that received from uh, crypto taxed at 30%. Um, I presume that means right now it's not taxed. <laughs> I don't really know the system. I mean clearly in, in the US it's property and you have um, you know you, if you if you have a capital gain you have to pay capital gains tax uh, on your on your crypto. But um, 
you know, the, in India, it, it did what wasn't. It's funny because some of the crypto exchanges really were, um, you know, they were they were up. They were they said that was this was a positive development. The people said this was horrible. Um, what do you guys think? I mean, it's it's interesting to see how <clears throat> you know some of these countries are going to play this out uh, and kind of where they end up falling. Um, you know, I don't think thirty percent is exceedingly crazy when you think about um, you know the potential of uh, you know the gains that you can make in crypto, though you know quite volatile uh, at times, as we've seen. Um, you know, I think in in Europe, don't they tax some? Uh, things 50 or 60 percent so um, yeah, yeah they yeah. do but you don't exactly. pay it you know that's that you avoid yeah. yeah i mean it's um you know i think this one's a bit more interesting than china china's a you know a run by um you know the communist party and uh, basically one person india's experiment will be a little bit different uh, and then the next country wherever that might be europe i mean you know my fear is still that you know, the U.S. is just going to keep lagging behind. Yeah, we were Project Hamilton, we have the Fed. And, but, Andrew, you've talked about this many times on this show. Like, those in Congress need to do something, and they need to get a better hold and handle on what's happening um, and need to fully start to grasp. And I don't know if many of them even can, but at least start to put the effort in because – Countries that have billions of people that are going to start using stuff like this is, is going to really leave the U.S. scratching and clawing to come from way behind eventually. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, first about India, this policy odyssey has been going on for a really long time. I wow. actually had kind of started to lose interest in it because it had gone back and forth. There's a, there's a robust, you know, crypto industry in India. Uh, um, but this most recent announcement, I was kind of like, okay, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. It really makes sense. Just tell them it's okay, but we're going to, we want to cut the action. Is it 30% a lot? I think it is, but then, you know, how much of that are people actually going to pay? I don't know. I don't understand the, the tax environment in India. It sounds like yeah. a lot to me, but I think it's a smart move on the government's part because otherwise it just goes underground and people avoid it. Anyway, as we all know, back to the U.S. and regulation, the one big thing that the U.S. has going for it is the market size and the depth of capital markets and the ocean of money that's chasing deals. So even if you're, you're a crypto platform, you want access to those markets and, and the, the, the rule of law that exists in this country. And so that's kind of been you know saving our, our bacon for the time being. I do think something will be done. I don't know if it'll be a good thing, but I think in the long run, you know, the U.S. can win out uh, in the short term. It may be a little bit disappointing, though. Right, right. Yep. Yeah. We should also point out that India also said they're planning to launch a CBDC pilot um, within about yes. a year, within a year. So that, that's going to be interesting to watch. I still well. find the most, arguably the most interesting question is how does India's CBDC play with China's play with the U S play with France, play with Germany? Like we have no idea if, if there any of them are really thinking of interoperability. Or oh, I'm sure they're, they're, thinking they're totally thinking about it. They're totally thinking about it. They, they, yeah, but uh, are they, are they coordinating on it? Yes, yes, they are. So, so Singapore I'm not had convinced it about that. 
No, has no, been working I'm on sure. it. They've been working cross borders with China um, and elsewhere. I think. Well, there's so, a group. Yeah. I just I just found out this morning when I have I had a conversation with someone at Cambridge University that there is a group of 800 regulators in the um, that are interested in CBDC that have that are have been communicating at least for the last year and will continue to communicate. So there's real lines of communication that are open um, between governments. I think we, you know, I think it's. But those, my fear is those governments can change. So whoever's there today can be gone. Sure, sure. And whoever's there today could be very supportive. But, uh, but the, yeah, the, the, the public servants that are that are there that are doing the work, a lot of them stay administration or administration. So I think a lot of it will will stay. But anyway, we don't. I don't. I, I'm I more wanna, pessimistic on the. On yeah, the I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, can't I can't have a show without talking about overdrafts. We had another, another, Good for you. Yes. another bank this week announced uh, TD Bank said that they are going to abolish overdraft fees if the if the if you overdraw your account by fifty dollars or less. So um, that is that is great news for TD Bank customers. Also saying they're going to introduce low balance alerts, which is sort of this. Uh, I think PNC Bank had that uh, where they're they're going to give you a twenty four hour grace period. That, that let you know that, uh, that, that your account is going to be overdrawn. So good news. And they, the TD Bank, apparently 8.9% of revenue came from fees last fiscal year. So this is, this is another one. And I feel like any, most banks now, it seems like most large banks or many large banks, wouldn't say most, uh, are taking action. So, you know, the, the real question, the after effect is how do they make up the 8.9%? They're not going to lose it all because there'll be people who obviously go over the $50, but uh, a majority of people will probably fall in that $20, $30 range. Um, but then where does that, you know, say if they keep one or 2% of that, where, where are they making up seven, seven and a half percent? Yeah. Well, they can't make it up by closing, you know, branches, uh, unfortunately, but I, but I, I technology, I, maybe they close more loans. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why fintechs win, right? Yeah. Because they, they, they don't have a foundation that's, that's you know, on clay or sand. And there was, um, in December, I believe it was, the CFPB issued a report on, um, on these fees, and it slammed them. And, you, you know, the, you have an administration right now that is gunning for these fees. And so traditional finance needs to get on the same page and just get rid of them. And, you know, keep things moving along. It'll be painful, but, you know, you're going to have to do it. Otherwise, you lose in the long run. You lose in the short run, you lose in the long run. Yep. It makes a lot of sense to, to get out of it. It's just ridiculous that these fees still exist. It's usurious. It's, you know, it's the whole $20 or $30 cup of coffee. We've read about so many times. Old finance needs to get with the game. You know, just do it. Here, here. That is a great way. Great way to end. Um, we are out of time, everybody. Thank you very much, Andrew, for joining us today. Thanks, Todd, as always. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. The, thank you to the audience for watching or listening. Uh, before we go, uh, quick quick heads up that uh, we will be in uh, Miami next week, FinTech Nexus. I think there's still, uh, still a couple of tickets available if you want to go to lendit.com and you want to join the fun in Miami. Um, it will be happening Monday and Tuesday of next week. So with that... We'll all be back uh, the same time next week. Um, have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks. See ya. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Peter. Thanks.